don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Gray Man Concept. Some of you notice I slightly changed the name. I'm trying to make it easier to find. The podcast, as I've called and will always continue to say, is Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. That's part of the description of what a Gray Man does. Very broad, vague description that doesn't give enough, which is why I rewrote the description of the show, which I'm going to read you. But I also took a look and thought, just calling it Gray Man Concepts like my company was making it harder. And when I talk to people, I usually say, hey, it's a Gray Man Concept. But what are we talking about today? Today we're looking at relationships. I know a lot of that's been said lately, and I've been comparing things to certain relationships. But hopefully you're catching on now, especially after the last episode, where we're at with this. And it's understanding what relationships are and that realistically, if you understand the Gray Man Concept, then you realize that if you're not making relationships, you're not making anything. While that might sound like a cute tagline, it's kind of the deal takes the relationships really to make this work and today we're going to talk about communication in those relationships based on debate arguing or whatever you call it i will use normal regular every world examples but explain how they work into this concept when you're trying to get information from people we're going to understand the right way to have a debate or an argument and essentially how to win every time but realizing that what we call winning probably isn't what winning actually is there's a right way to win just like there's a right way to argue and that's what we're talking about right here on gray man Hiding in plain sight. Well, you likely will know before me, but I made a small little change in the sound and the audio. I'm hoping sounds better, and I think it does until we publish on a few platforms and then I get to check it out and listen to it, you know, in the vehicle, on the phone, on a computer. We'll see if I want to keep it, but here's what I did. So I tried to find a way for as many times as I explained this to make a simple description of the whole gray man concept. What would make sense? And then as I'm writing it, I tried to take out verbiage and things that would make sense in the Intel world or people work in agencies or places where I worked. It's like, how can I translate to put that into words for people who aren't in that world to understand so we don't have to deal with different phrases and acronyms or things that sound cool, but put them in plain speak, which is what I do when I train people on other subjects. And so here's what I come up with. And I'm going to read it to you because one of the things I've learned is when you're, when you're on this many platforms, no matter who distributes, there's delays and things, you know, for example, like when I publish a podcast, I know it takes about 25 minutes for show up on the app pocket cast. Some take several hours or a day. If I go in and make a title change or if I do this and I rewrite the description of the show, it can take forever. So like going back to pocket cast again, show will publish in 20 minutes, but as of today, it hasn't shown the new write up on the show. And I did it like days ago, like almost a week ago. 
But here's what it is. This is what I wrote. The gray man hides in plain sight by blending into any situation, concealing their intent by remaining unremarkable and not standing out. Their actions are planned and behaviors deliberate with the purpose of cultivating relationships to provide ongoing information. The gray man incorporates skills for obtaining information, enhancing privacy and personal security into their existing lifestyle. These include situational awareness, detecting deception, persuasion, reading body language, objective analysis, self-awareness, critical thinking, identifying threats, and predicting outcomes. Fairly wordy, especially in written form if you're writing a paper, but for a podcast description and looking at other people's descriptions, ones are wordy, ones are brief. Seemed like it worked for me. Seemed pretty good. So there you go. Share that with friends and family. And when you look at that, especially in the skill set, you realize that pretty much everything I talk about falls into there one way or another without, doesn't like take a lot of finagling. Now for a debate, I think what's important to start out with is understanding what winning is. Because especially when emotion gets involved, we screw this up. It's part of the reason we have arguments that people call fights or arguments that aren't healthy arguments. You know, previously I mentioned the article with the individuals in there talking about being married 30 or 40 years and they'd never fought or never had an argument, which of course I explained why that was a lie. Now, why these techniques make sense, I want to upfront, and I'll beat this to death probably in the show, is it's going to sound a lot like we're following debate norms of being in debate club or maybe politicians debating on stage or the way that can be better. And I will use that in one example, but no, that's not it. It's understanding how the, the right ways to argue can be done in a healthy manner in any relationship. See, this is important because in the types of relationships we're talking about for the show, we talk about the whole gray man thing is when you're doing this job, let's say you're interrogating even at the lowest level where I started out, or let's say you're running sources so they're not recruited assets, even the lowest level where I started out. While you could be dealing with things with national security, you are dealing with people's lives. So at the lowest level, it's typically in the military on a deployed real-world assignment. So for me, it was in the Middle East. So you're dealing with things where you're trying to get information to stop death, stop bad things from happening, stop the next attack, find out the information to get this guy so that doesn't happen. You get up to the higher levels of this world and you're like field guys working at the CIA, for example. They're dealing with national security matters, right? They, they could deal with... Bob the terrorist little dude, and they've done it, and Bob the terrorist big dude, they've obviously done that. That's been in the news. But they could be dealing with things of much broader implications and long-term. But the thing is, with all these relationships, in that description, you don't want to blow it. You don't want to get in a fight and argue with these guys. You want to know how to argue correctly, get your point across. Arguing correctly in the right way and understanding what winning is actually stops the argument in the negative sense in the fight to know what it is. So what is winning? Most of us think of winning in an argument, especially in the moment when it's a heated discussion, is exactly how we treat things or see people do things on social media. Like it's established dominance, right? Out talk them, out logic them, out argue them. And I don't mean when people actually use logic and do it, which as somebody warned me on Twitter, advised me on Twitter, of course I knew this is, you definitely don't show up to a Twitter fight with logic because if it's good enough, people won't respond. And if they, if they're angry enough or it's not good enough, they're just going to come at you with emotion that makes no sense. But a lot of people do that in the relationships because we get upset, we get emotional. And there's ways to prepare for that in order to establish the correct ways to have an argument and not establish dominance. And the thing is, in any relationship, well, I think I mentioned this before when it came to romantic ones, it's my opinion this is true in any form of relationship, whether it's children and parents or it's, you know, school teacher, whether it's professional business relationships, whether it's you know, your partner in your business, whether it's the gray man thing. While there are small places for it in times, generally speaking, if your definition of winning is beating the other person, 
beating them into submission, establishing dominance, pulling rank in these types of things, that's a bad thing because what it means is you're not on the same team. You're not acting on the same behalf of each other. You're not truly partners. You're not working together. It's okay to debate and argue things and be upset sometimes. That's going to happen. But to come together to find an agreement and a resolution to make things work. And the whole gray man thing, with enough experience in this, because these relationships, maybe this is just me, because I never actually had this conversation with anybody. I don't think... I don't think when it came to communication and understanding person, I put the value on it that it needed at any point in my life. Now, I know when I was younger, it was definitely true. I think it's true for all of us. And if you don't live in a world or work in a world where those things become evident, because it doesn't have to be this world, it could be somebody works in psychology. You could be somebody who's just been through a lot of relationships and seen things, or maybe it just came more naturally to you. I just, I never really saw it or saw it for the value of what it should be. I think I'm better at it now. I haven't been in a relationship in a couple of years, so hard to say, but I was in places and having types of, these were professional relationships that often seem personal to these people. Sometimes you have to blend those or manipulate them, which you might see as bad, but in these situations, I don't think so. And realizing that you can use these techniques to actually forego any fight or negative argument context uh, later, later on in the game. So it's three uh, simple things. I have seen people discuss this before, and I've picked these three that I think are probably the most doable and understandable and simplest. Simplest form, as I like to put it. And for all I know, I didn't come up with this. I probably didn't. So anyway, the first one is training. When you think about debate in this section, idea of the debate club, as we would call it, the somewhat professional instance of this we have training on how it's performed you know you talk i talk here's how you present an argument you know if you're not using a podium this is your power side this is where you stand maybe some body language gets involved in it here's how you get a point across you know if you talk with your hands do it this way some of these things i i've discussed on the show some some i haven't and it's understanding kind of the breakdown step-by-step process of how I won't say healthy, I'll say proper argument is followed in these situations. Now, one thing you got to be careful with this is so easy to go down the rabbit hole of format. It's kind of the same idea of like rules of order or whatever it's called for having, say, you know, a formal meeting. You know, I vote, I second that, whatever. Like people that do that kind of thing, they don't bring it in their household, probably shouldn't. So you want to be careful when you learn these rules, and these aren't the only ones, but these are the main ones to start with, that you don't try to force them into an argument and go, you're not following the rules. That's going to go bad for you. You don't want to do that. But it's to help you plan and structure your argument and how you want to present your ideas, which means in order to do this, there's some pre-planning involved. Or, as I'll circle back to at the end of this, some time off needed to plan, pre-plan for the next engagement and not in a bad way engagement like talking to somebody engagement so the training aspect is something we don't have part of this isn't just that uh, discussion on how the debate format is followed to understand the presentation arguments and how to get your point across because that's the main reason you're doing it. how do i get my point to this person so they can see it why is that necessary because here's what winning really is because we're on the same team in almost every one of these situations and we don't want to be on two separate teams what winning really is is me getting you to 
see and understand my point. I won't necessarily say point of view. I don't like that because sometimes it isn't point of view. It's just my point. It doesn't have to be a point of view as in I'm the only one seeing it. Sometimes it's just the point. It also means I see and understand your point and I get it. And after that, we're both able to walk away and go, let me think about that. Let me see. Do I need to change my point? Can I concede to that? Can I use that information to understand where I went wrong? Does it mean I went wrong? Can I use that to understand the person's point and how they're safe feeling about things so that I don't come back and try and tell them they're wrong because they were communicating and acting in a way about how they're feeling. And I'm smart enough not to explain that to them. I just realize it and fall through with it. That's what truly winning is. Now, some of that, of course, at the end with the feeling thing comes into the more personal relationships. But even in this whole gray man world, as I call it, like I said, some of those relationships are personal or seem that way to at least one party, even if they're manipulated. So you have to approach them that way. Even if you're doing it as a professional, you have to give a little credence to their personal point of view so you don't lose them. Because if they really think that you're friends and they're giving you gold, you don't want to screw that up by telling them you're not friends, basically creating an earthquake that collapses that gold mine and you don't get it anymore because I've seen that happen. That's part of the process that helps us understand exactly how to get these arguments across, how to communicate correctly, but more importantly, it's how to listen correctly. Because when you do debates that are formal, what we'll call formal arguments, things that they tend to do, especially when it's a competitive form, a lot of times is they'll just give you the position to take. So you have to research this and prepare for it. It may not be your position. It's better if it's not your position. You take some of the emotional out, you know, and not try to go like, oh, well, it's not my position, but let me tell you why this position, not doing that. You're trying to win like a contest. And then you have to present your facts and information. No matter how well prepared you are, then you have to actually listen very closely to what this person's saying because you may have researched some presentable information. And you, oh, this is a better time to introduce it here because they said this, whereas I'll hold this one back because they didn't say it yet. And you may have to react on the fly. The next part of this is timing. In the professional sense, especially if we think of the political arena, they they always screw this up. But they're like, each candidate gets two minutes to speak, whatever they get, and then they're like, you know, we're going to tell you to stop, and they don't. They should just shut their fucking mics off. But part of the thing they haven't figured out is they always like to talk more and more and more, and people tend to want to elaborate a little more, and it makes it hard when it's emotional because it's like we heard this one. Even if we're not listening just to respond, which in a heated argument most people really are in a personal relationship, we probably heard one or two key points that we want to respond to, which is part of the reason why we treat it like a real debate, and we are prepared to have that. And try to go after the argument again, not the person, because that's the whole thing about the debate. The debate's about the argument, not the individual. You don't go to debate club and see this guy from this college call this guy from another college an asshole, right? They don't do that. They go after the argument they're presenting. Here's why your argument's bad. Here's why my argument's good. It's not why, here's why you're bad, and here's why I'm good. Because when you've done that, you've really lost the argument, even if the other person doesn't follow or understand. You've gone to the point where even if it's undetended, even if you actually have more valuable, logical, debatable, reasonable information to present, you stepped into that realm where you've reached, <laughs> here's, here's the theme for the season, I suppose, emotional point of failure, and you really lost the argument or lost that person, lost respect. You've lost enough that even if you can come back with the other stuff, it's not going to be taken credibly or seriously. So one of the things they really fail at is they actually should give these candidates more time to talk. Because when people present the debate thing, whether it's opening or follow-on statements and responses, 
they can go pretty long, several minutes, even longer. Same idea as when uh, a courtroom, for example, you have your opening and closing arguments. You get to say a lot of things there. That is a debate procedure, whether they follow those rules or not. Whether or not they communicate things really good or really bad, it's an ample amount of time for them to get the information across to say, you know, here's summary. Because the way I look at it when I explain it, I'm not a lawyer, so hey, if you get a better way and you're a lawyer, please let me know. But when I use this example, I say, look, think of it like writing a paper when a lawyer goes to court, if there's a jury. Their opening statements to the court and the jury and their closing statements to the court or jury are much like a paper. They're essentially a summary. Here's what I'm going to talk about. Then we have court. And then at the end they go, here's what I talked about. And here's what I believe I proved. Kind of like a thesis paper in a way. Very again, loose, simple direction, but that's kind of what that is, is just a simple summary. They're allowed to do this because they have ample time. You can't interrupt them. There might be situations based on what they say where you can't interrupt them. I suppose that there's probably things in there about introducing evidence and all this, but generally speaking, you don't see them getting interrupted. They're allowed to have that time. This is to say that sometimes in relationships we see in professional business world, okay, I think we're as far as we can get today. Or let's look at it the way the news portrayed it because we don't really know what happened in the room. Politically, the biggest debate arguments between two teams recently was the debt ceiling here in the United States. And they would leave those things and come out and somebody from each side, usually the president, and then usually whatever the guy's name is, the House of Representatives Speaker, McCarthy, would give their, like, I think we're making progress, I think this, whatever. They wouldn't really say anything, whether it might sound positive, it might sound negative, and then they would go back and take ample time to prepare to move on for their next arguments and negotiations to make this through. Because you remember, arguments, this is my opinion. I don't know that this is technically correct. This is how I look at it. Negotiations in any form are always arguments, but not all arguments are negotiations because negotiations are about resolution and typically a winner versus a loser, at least from somebody's point of view, and it can be both. Arguments aren't always that, especially in personal relationship. There doesn't need to be a winner or a loser. You both can be winners if you handle it well. You're both losers if you handle it badly, no matter what your results are. That's just my my opinion. But I've used that a lot in professional relationships where people think they're personal, trying to get information. But part of this is for allowing for ample time. So in a personal relationship, an example is, it's better to do it before things get heated. Be like, all right, let's take, let's take five here. Why don't we, you know, as long as you're not ready to kill each other, why don't we do this? Why don't we take some time, come back and talk about this next time, whatever, this time, this day. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's a healthy thing. It does things like diffuse the situation if you handle it properly. It gives time for everybody to calm down. It gives time for people to put some real serious thought in it to plan and come forward to discussion. Be more prepared. Also be more emotionally prepared, which you don't want to bring that up with either party, probably, unless you're talking about yourself. And coming forward, meeting at a time, and then having a healthy debate and discussion. And, you know, sometimes it takes a long time. Some people say never go to bed angry. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I can tell you right now there's times that I believed it so much I didn't go to bed. There was absolutely no reason why I couldn't. So, hey, if you're a healthy debater in a relationship of any type and you can not go to bed angry and work it out, that's good for you. But for a lot of us, we can't. So that's something to consider is taking that break, giving ample time so that considerations can be made. Now, in this this professional side that I'm talking about, like where I'm coming from, we had so much time for that. It was before people even realized. Like, I don't think, unless they'd been detained before or something, 
explain the process. I don't think anybody that came in to get interrogated thought about what we were doing prior to talking to them. Maybe they did. We, that never really came up. But we had all kinds of time. And we had all kinds of experience backing this up for what we're going to do. We got papers. We got photographs. We got this. We got essentially testimony of people. You know, we got whatever information we have historically, whatever we have on this. We got maps. We got all this stuff, all of our experience. We plan. We do whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to this guy. And then we repeat that process on every break or every time we don't talk to him for a day or, or several days. Same thing, people that run relationships. You know, you want to run relationships and recruit a guy. You know, real world, that takes months. Months of continuous contact. You're not like meeting a dude once a month. I mean, you can. That can happen. But this is a continual, ongoing relationship. And nine months would be a pretty good pretty good clip. And I'm talking about in the what I call the real professional side of it. So places like when CIA does it. The people that would be called your traditional spies, whether they're overt, covert, whatever, months, you know, nine months to a year, easily. could take longer. Sometimes in the military, we didn't even push that because we're in the middle of a war. Guys giving us gold, we got to take them out of the fight to go through the recruitment process, pay them the money, do all this, train them to do things, test them on how to do these things just so we have the legal authority to tell him what we want. And it's like, we're trying to tell them to stop, really to cover our ass because we don't have the authority to tell them to keep going. But we're not going to get anything if we actually try to recruit him just so we can say do this. And why would we want to say to do anything? He's already doing it, and he's given us the gold and doing better than we thought. So why? So at that low level, that wouldn't always happen. You know, but that's not always how the game's played at the, you know, that's the novice. That's like Little League. And then when you get up into the major leagues, you know, it's similar process, same idea, but a little different. This time is essential because it allows people to do things. I mean, even if you look at just the gray man side, so you have, you know, Bob, the good guy comes in. Let's say we've met Bob before. We would consider him a source of information. Does pretty well. He grades well. Gives us some good stuff. Has resulted in corroborating stuff over here. A couple times he gave us a couple of good things that resulted in his own things. We've given him a few incentives and rewards we're not yet ready to recruit him, but things have been going well. So when he comes to meet us again and he tells us about his cousin, the terrorist over here, whatever, and we feeling pretty good about that, do the normal thing. Part of the time he's taking when he walks away with that, even though I'm controlling the relationship, is he's taking time to figure out what his next steps are. Do I want to continue doing this? Here's the things I have done. Here's how it's paid off. Here's what's helped them. Here's what they've liked. Here's what I can do. He's planning, right? He's got time to do this. And then in that professional sense, like I said, when we recruit people and we do things like we train them, we test them, we task them, we do these several other things that we do with them and put them on the payroll, all this other kind of stuff. We're taking the time to work them, grow them, give them skills and abilities to perform for us. Now, they're not all treated that way. Some people are just manipulated into doing things that take very little effort that don't require a lot of task and training. But we're getting them to do things for us. You move that to like a there's professional relationships where that can work in many, many, th probably a lot of things in some industries, but you get to personal family, like the people you live with. Yeah. Little kids, you got to teach and train, but you know, you're not, you're not doing that with the significant other. So that's, that's where that doesn't really play in, but it's important to give time no matter where it needs to be. It's fair. It's unfair not to give time when you don't want to give time or you want things to happen now and the other person isn't ready for that or they're emotionally overwhelmed, you're demanding things from them and being unfair and not giving everybody 
the equal opportunity to have a say or way this goes. And sometimes you have to consider the fact, and you probably should think about this all the time, especially in real personal type relationships with arguments, is to say, this person isn't agreeing with me, but they're not really fighting or responding anymore. More than likely, they're overwhelmed. Too much stimulus, emotional point of failure. You know, they're not, you know, they're not beating your ass with a baseball bat, but they're also not screaming in your face. They're also not running away. They may not be scared, but they're at a loss. It's because it's gone too far and they need time and you need to recognize that and give it to them. And in those situations, it's my suggestion, because why this can look that way, we don't really do it on the gray man side, as you could say, I'd like to talk about this again. Let me know when you're ready to do it. Okay, I don't want to wait a month, but I think, you know, we both can use some time. And Let me know when you're ready. And if you do that, leave it alone until they tell you. The last thing is that it's kind of looking at the relationship between the two parties. Because I say parties instead of people. It may not always be people. There's typically two sides. You know, even in American politics, a lot of people don't realize how many different political parties we have and how many end up on a ballot somewhere. But there's really only two main ones. Libertarian one has grown somewhat. I don't know if numerically, but it seems like as much as we talk about it has outpaced what we called independence a long time ago. I don't know that libertarians hold any seats in our government, federal government anyway. Independents have. But there's there's really only two two main parties. Not that anybody should be dismissed, but it's it's to say that it doesn't have to be two people. And in a relationship in a family household, it doesn't have to be parties. It could be two people, even if 20 people live there. And where it gets real sketchy and dangerous is the professional business relationship, where it's one thing if you're negotiating the buyout of a company. But when you got 10, 20 employees and they're all allowed to debate and participate in a discussion for whatever reason, it starts to get out of control. If they start choosing sides, which most of the time means they're creating two sides, it may not actually happen. The people that are looked at as the leaders of that could be forced into a situation they don't want to deal with. So that's to say the relationship you have with the person is more important than the argument and should surpass it. You know, one of the things, gosh, I don't remember. I'll screw this up, but so David Robertson from Destroying the Narrative, DMR Publications, one of the phrases he uses is something along the lines of, you can be right or you can be accurate. Now, I don't think that's always the only options, but most of the time it actually boils down to that, especially in our interpersonal relationships. People don't argue for accuracy or resolution, you know, amicable result. They often argue to be right. In other words, establish dominance. Not all the time, but we all fall into that trap at some point, and that's what we want to be careful of. So if we use that example and go to the extreme side, you married this person, you had kids with this person, you know you love this person, you do nice things for this person, you appreciate what they do. But for some reason, it's almost like we lose our minds to the point where we'll be willing to destroy all of that just to be right. Because we want them to admit it. And nowhere do you see this more prevalent than on social media, especially Facebook, especially now that Twitter allows longer, stupider posts and so many other places I'm sure it happens to, but it's all about being right, being emotional. It's like, I swear social media has ruined um, the news. I mean, do you realize a lot of these news companies call themselves media now? I mean, 
okay, we have news and, and we also put out television. Sure, sure, you're a media company. But when they call the news itself media, I think that's a result of what's been manipulated. Social media, which I'll probably just talk about in the future because we're getting off track. So it's remembering the importance of relationships. How does this work? So I actually thought of, I'll hear about this eventually, or David will. But this is a good example. Because sometimes you screw up. Sometimes you do things unintentionally that could hurt another person or you realize might be taken badly. And the person's, the relationship's more important. You know, it's like, I remember I remember a couple of years ago saying, a couple of times at least, you know, about talking about somebody like uh, Snowden. And I said, I'm not doing it because there's relationships in my life that are more important than that discussion. Because they are. It doesn't matter about accuracy. They're more important than that discussion. So I'll give you an example. With all the traveling I'm doing, I follow a lot of podcasts and listen to most of them. Some of them I have a lot of shows on there where I want to listen. They're not shows I would listen to continually all the time for entertainment, more for knowledge. When I'm studying or learning certain things, so I keep the good ones on there and pilfer through them on occasion. But some I listen to all the time, and then David's I listen to all the time. You know, I got I'm still behind on some of the leaders' last ones, but he has destroying the narrative, which most be called used to be called disagreeable thoughts and philosophies of DMR publications. So. I haven't updated all my show notes on old shows. I got I got to update that link, but dmrpublications.com, you can find everything he does. Anyway, Dave and I have been friends for years. We're pals. We know each other. I have had people in the past write things to me, and I don't know if they've done it to him. Like, they're trying to pit us against each other. So they have, they have this impression that we don't, we're not actually friends. Like, we're TV friends or something. You know? So, like, we talk a lot. We text a lot. I, I send him, like him and Luke, I send them photos when I travel. Uh, more photos than I usually put on the internet. Here's what I'm doing. You know, we talk about family and stuff going on. We're, we're pretty good friends. This is important to note because, so all these podcasts, so I'm sitting here one day. I'm at this really cool place right now. I'm getting ready to leave. But at the beginning of it, when I first got here, I was like, all right. All the stars have aligned. I am behind. I need to do some recordings and things will go well. I'm thinking this as I'm looking at podcasts to see what's there. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't listened to David's show in weeks. And I download them because I know he deletes them after, I don't know, six weeks or something. So I had several shows. I'm He brought them back down to an hour, but I am like several. It would take me all day, a long, long overtime work day to get caught up. So I'm like, all right. I'm going to listen to some of these. I'm going to go into town and get some ice, do a few things, get more of these. I'll come back. I'll finish them today. And then sometime tomorrow I'll have to do some recording. And then I'm like, no, no, I've so far behind on the podcast. I need to do the recording. This is the whole conversation I'm having. So what do I do? I sit down, I get everything set up and I roll and I start with those recordings. And I think the very first one I did on this little sprint was saying like, Hey, I'm recording a bunch of these at once. You know, that conversation I had that at this point you would have heard probably a few weeks ago. Anyway, so I do all that, I do some recordings, I get a few done, and then I drive into town, because where I'm at, town's a ways away. That's where internet is. So I go in, before I do anything, I'm like, sit down, I got internet, doing my thing, uploading some shows. Then I set to download David's shows and some other ones, I go shopping, get my eyes, I do all this stuff, gone for several hours, I come back. A couple of days go by, shows start publishing, so I start listening to David's show and I get caught up. The point is to bring out the show called Russian War Strategy, which was, I think originally I put Warfare and Strategy, Russian War Strategy, which 
Uh, by the time you hear this, I'm doing follow-ups to that show that I'm not sure if I'm going to part one, part two it or not. But anyway, I communicate things in that show. Those who have listened to the show and listened to me know that unless I'm really fucking with somebody directly like on YouTube years ago, I talk a lot like I'm talking now. But on that one, I was a little asshole-ish for me for what I do when I'm just doing this. Because of the stuff I saw, you know, people saying this, people saying that, it was really getting to me. Really, I get it's the point where I was like, I haven't talked in a while. I need to talk, get this stuff out, and try not to make it too, too political, too personal. But I thought it was really dumb, and I was pretty harsh on some of that stuff. Okay, remember that? Then I went and listened to David's stuff. I mentioned on that podcast, yeah, David and I talked about this in Montana. David, so it's a year after later. I'm recording this. I'm acting like an asshole. I start getting caught up on David's stuff, which had published before I made this. And guess what he's saying? Some of that same stuff. Because the relationship's more important to me, I get a hold of David. And I'm like, so, buddy, listen, here's what I did. <laughs> so I told him because I already had the stuff out. I'm 45 minutes from Internet. Not that I can't go in and re-record it or whatever, but it was like getting ready to publish. I'm like, oh, fuck. Because it took me a few days to get to this point being like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, David said this. That's funny. Oh, he said it again. Oh, we're on another podcast. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing... And I'm like, oh, I need to say something because it's going to sound like I'm going after him, which I wasn't. And he understood. And I knew he'd understand, but my thought was, you know, if you're having a bad day, I have bad days. I could take things the wrong way. I've done it before. So the point is to say in these arguments and discussion, understand the relationships are more important. So like on the gray man side, you may not give a fuck about that dude, but if you're getting intel from him, that relationship's important. And it needs to be managed as such in order to maintain it and keep it. In other words, cultivate it, as I wrote in the Gray Man description, cultivating relationships, right? Cultivating like a garden, planting the seeds, growing it, taking care of it, managing it, keeping the weeds, all the bad stuff out, watering it, feeding it, dealing with little problems when they arise. You know, harvest it when needed, but continue to have that relationship or rotate it, whatever you got to do, whatever garden analogy works at this point. So that's what I had to do in that situation. It's not my first rodeo. I've had to do that before. But it's funny to me. I actually thought I might hear about it by now. Sometimes people would come and say, oh, you guys said these different things. People have done that with other people from my past from years ago. They did it with some clown on YouTube that pretends to be a weapons instructor. And, oh, he reviewed this movie. And I was like, yeah, dude, you already know you're wrong. <laughs> you already know he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why you're asking him. You just want me to rip him up. Dude's not worth my time. He's nobody. You know, he's an idiot. So it's, it's about the importance of the relationship. So in that, that relationship, obviously that person wasn't important and important enough. I was like ambivalent to the whole thing. I don't care. Whereas this relationship with David, a little more important. And so I was like, Hey, here's what I did. That's to say that in all forms of relationships of all types, when you recognize the importance of them, right, you can salvage or correct mistakes even before they happen and say, I screwed up. When you take that break in that time and you come back to have that discussion, you can say, I screwed up. When you're doing on the professional side where I worked, you could say that if you needed to, but typically wouldn't. We'd just come in and be like, hey, we got a new direction type thing, some sort of version of that. When it's a personal relationship too, or business relationship, ones that are more important, we can learn this well enough at life that we can actually head things off or think things through far enough in advance. Because you may remember many times I talked about things that I consider important, how many times I role play those conversations. That's part of the preparation that you do when you need to take that break. But what about if you do it beforehand and you take the time beforehand 
you could head all the bullshit off. It's not always going to be an option, but there's times where you can cut back a lot of the the threat of failure by pre-gaming quite a ways in advance. As long as you don't do it so much, you avoid the actual issue. So whatever it is, I use examples to bring in the point of how important these relationships are. It's to drive home, and I I won't know until I re-listen to this. I think I could write this in a better article, but understanding that when people talk about the gray man concept, it's way beyond the blending in thing, way beyond whether or not I'm wearing this pair of pants. You know, I this is more reason why I say the whole physical appearance is about 5% of this and matters little because of people's bubble of interest, what they pay attention to, and how easily we are distracted. And that being unremarkable, being unmemorable when we don't want to be memorable, you know, whatever the reasons are why you do this, goes so far beyond appearance, but realizing now that, yes, it is those things about how we behave and interact with people. People remember things. and They remember more based on your interaction. They remember the negatives, more than positive. I've talked about this before. This is why this discussion is important. And a lot of this is about, for those that have been practicing and doing this, for as many people are having issues or I've mentioned are having problem or feeling anxiety or feeling nervous, there are a few out there that I don't really talk about or share that have communicated over time, some over a great amount of time about what they're doing with this, what they're trying, shared their experiences with me. That weren't enough where I really wanted to turn them in a show or I didn't want to mention it because I knew who they were or groups of people with them that listened to the show where I might be outing them in a way that I don't think would be like bad, you know, really, really bad, but they not, may not appreciate it. So I just never brought them up. So it's just realizing that this is an ongoing thing. This is a continual thing if you're doing it. Depending on what level you're doing this at, you might just enjoy the show for fun. But these relationships matter. And the thing is, relationships get passed on. So I mentioned Polymeropolis, the whole falling in love with thing, and about how he passed those sources on, and he had a hard time with it because he had to give them to new handlers, new people, when, they were, when he was the guy. And that's part of that world. If you still have them, they have to be passed off. You need good written records, good information to pass off. A lot of guys fuck that up. There's processes to hand them over to new people that sometimes don't happen, and sometimes that's a good thing. In the same way, if you go to any other situation, like, say, a business relationship, you're a manager, we'll say, in a business. You have supervisors, you have subordinates. Somebody's coming in to take your job because you're moving to a new area, you're getting promoted or whatever, maybe you're getting fired. Part of what your job should be is managing those relationships in a way that you can pass those off, basically pass your job off, because most jobs are a series of relationships. And arguably all of them could be, depending on how you present that argument. Same way as having like a SOP manual. How can I pass this off to the next person? We focused on it heavily in the military. We don't deal with it a whole lot in personal lives. Even if we're coming from worlds that have heavily trained it, trained us on it and how to look at it and perform it, we don't take it home. Not that you want to take your work home, but sometimes there's good principles there. It might help you out in your personal life. But that's the thing. Let's say it's a personal relationship, right? Let's say in the business relationship, you should get, you get fired. You still need to have the things in place to pass it on as though you were getting promoted. Think about that in a personal relationship because how many of us have been so, so angry or so screwed up from what happened in a relationship that it jaded us or messed us up with the next ones or we weren't successful, right? No matter what we did or didn't do, there was a portion of it that came from the other party. Think about that in your personal relationships too. What can I do to make this better? Now that you should plan for divorce. But there's no reason to go after people and try to hurt them. 
especially if you know that relationship's ending, just like being promoted. Being promotion is, there's certain relationships that are ending. Being fired, certain relationships are ending, probably the same ones. It's no different than a personal relationship. Just because it's ending, it's like the ship is sinking, so let's shoot more holes in it. Is that really necessary? The ship's sinking. I don't know. Just a thought.